0: And we are reading in, in Acts chapter 12, picking, off, picking up where we left off last week. And what we had covered last week was that James had been beheaded or killed with the sword by Herod. Herod was excited about that because it got the Jews excited, so he had Peter picked up. Peter was put in jail. It happened to be the Passover, so... No, no executions were going to be done during the Passover, but right after the Passover, he was going to be brought out and executed. Peter was put in the care of sixteen soldiers that were going to serve in groups of four. They put him in prison, chained to two soldiers, and two, two other soldiers were at the at the door. And this was within the prison. And the the chains drop off of Peter, and an angel leads him out in the night. And it says in verse eleven of Acts chapter. 12, Acts chapter 12, verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12. So Acts 12, 12. And when he realized this, they went, he, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate... A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is this angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Okay, so <clears throat> Peter is, is left by the angel after he brings him out the gate and, and brings him uh, down the street. Then it, he, the angel departs. Peter, at first, thought this was some vision. He thought he was dreaming this thing. And remember, in the past, Peter had had, had visions that, that where God was speaking to him. And then when he realized that indeed he had been led out of prison, he goes to the house of a woman named Mary. Now, there are many Marys in the New Testament. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the, the, the wife of Cleopas. There's Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And, and I think there's, there's one other Mary that I'm missing. But this is, this is yet another one. And so it was actually a very common name at that time. And her son's name was John, who was also called Mark. This is our first introduction to John Mark. John Mark is, is, the, John, is the Mark that wrote Mark's Gospel, the Gospel according to Mark. He's a young man in, in, at this time, living in the house of his mother. Obviously, she, she must be relatively wealthy because she has a large enough home that they were gathered there for a prayer meeting. There were many gathered there for a prayer meeting. It must have been a home that was routinely used for prayer meetings because Peter knew exactly where to go, where they would be gathered to, to pray. The angel didn't say, go to Mary's house. He knew exactly where to go, where the believers would be praying. And and you see the use of the home, the use of the home for Christian service. And early on in in. in in uh, my time as, as a Christian, and when we had a home, in fact, from the first week that Shireen and I got married, we opened our home to invite people in to share a meal with them and minister to them. And then that semester, the first semester we were married, we opened it also on Wednesday nights to have a meal where we would have a lot of of students from campus, and I was just a student myself. I was just a graduate student, and, and we would have them in for a meal in our home, and Shereen would cook, and we'd have a, a, a Bible study time in our home. We opened our home to Christian service, and I'm, I'm excited about that fact, and I will continue to do that. Our home is for Christian service, and what I've told my kids is, is that anytime. One of your youth groups or something wants to have a place for Christian service. That's what the home is for. You have the meetings here. I want the blessing that comes into the home. The blessing that comes into the home uh, through that. Let me t- share a story with you from the Old Testament. It says that, that David was moving the ark. And he was moving the ark uh, trying to move it into Jerusalem uh, uh, where, where, where they would worship. And, and while the ark was being moved, it wasn't moved in the right way. And, and God came and He struck one of the people dead and everybody was afraid and they moved the, the, the ark into the house of a man named Obed-Edom. And they said, we just can't move it anymore. What happened when the ark came into the house of Obed-Edom, and it's written about in, in in the book of Samuel, is that God blessed the home of Obed-Edom. And everything that Obed-Edom did, God blessed his entire household. So much so, the, house, the, the ark was in Obed-Edom's house for about six months that David heard about all that Obed-Edom was getting blessed with by having the ark in his home. And you know what David said? He said, get the ark out of his home and bring it into my home. That's what I want. I want the presence of God. I want the labors that are brought forth toward God. I want these things in my home. I don't want my home just for me and my family and my business. I don't want that. I want my home open to the blessings of God. Because every time believers come into my home, I get blessed. And I get blessed in many ways. I get blessed in practical ways. My children have been so blessed by the college students that have come into our home. They've helped my children with calculus, with with all sorts of of chemistry and studying. and, And you think, well, why do they need chemistry help? Can I help them? I can't help them. It is very frustrating for me and for them when I teach them chemistry because they have very little patience. I just say, well, just give me that and I write all the answers and say, here, that's how you do it. And I walk away. It's just very frustrating for me. And and uh, students are much more patient. We have been greatly blessed by students coming into our home. They, usually the the students that are six foot five and taller, as soon as they walk in the door, Shereen grabs them and they start changing light bulbs in the house. That's what she does with them. And we have been blessed by that. And and uh, uh, this is the way our family is blessed. And what else has happened is my children have learned to be gracious. And and it's interesting, when they've moved out of the home and gotten out of college, my, my, my oldest daughter is in graduate school and she opens her little apartment a lot for bringing in people for meals. And where did she learn that? She learned that from her mom doing this for others and even when my children once in a while are be normal teenagers and they're like how come how come there's always so many people in our house you we say well we're going to be gracious we're going to learn to bless others and we will be blessed we are teaching them something and you know what happens they learn that very thing and they start doing it we are blessed and they are blessed And so, here Mary had an open home. Learn to use your home and open it. You say, well, when I get a home, then I'll open it. You start today. I was a graduate student in college, in graduate school, and I had a a dorm room in a graduate housing, and I used to open up my dorm room for prayer meeting. I wanted the prayer meeting in my dorm room. And the guys would come in, and I'd serve them little things, whatever I had, you know, a box of chocolate, hot chocolate, whatever I had, I would serve to them, and I wanted them to be blessed in my little room because I knew blessing comes in. Before that, when I was an undergraduate, I lived in a, in a house with, with nine other Christian guys. And we had a regular weekly thing where we would invite other people into our home to take a meal with us. This is a practice that we did. It was something that we intended to do. It wasn't like, oh, well, when we happen to invite people. No, we did a regular thing. Because what happens is, if we just wait for it to happen, it never happens. But when we come with, this is what I'm going to do, once a week, once a month, I will make it a practice of doing this and using my home, my little place, to be a blessing to others. That's what I'll do. Then we do it. And you will receive great blessings through that. So Mary was having this, this meeting in her home and there's this knock on the door and the servant girl, so again, another indication that Mary was a relatively wealthy person because she happened to have a servant and so Rhoda, the servant, goes to the door and when she recognizes Peter's voice, she was so excited, she didn't even open the door and she ran back saying, uh, it's Peter, P- Peter's at the door. And, and, um, you know, you, you wonder what kind of, of woman this is that she's not even going to open the door. But anyway, she just runs back and she then tells them that it's Peter at the door. And they don't believe her. And you say, well, why don't they believe her? It's very interesting. They are there praying for the salvation, the physical salvation of Peter. And Peter shows up the, at the door... And they're like, this can't be. And, you know, this is the beautiful thing about the Scriptures, because we see in these people exactly us. We pray for things, but we really don't believe it's going to happen. And if it's going to happen, it's not going to happen in this way. I mean, Peter's not going to come knocking at the door just because we're praying. What's going to happen is they're going to bring him out to be beheaded, just like happened with James. And God is going to cause an earthquake to occur, and the ground is going to open up and... All the guards are going to fall into the ground and die and Peter is going to be standing there glowing and everybody's going to get saved. You know, we get these images on how God is going to do things and God did it however he wanted to do it. And they're just like us. You know, they, they don't expect this to happen. And also they don't trust Rhoda because she's just a slave and because she's a woman. Remember in that day... A woman had no legal status to testify anything in a court of law. So if a woman said, you know, I saw this, I saw it doesn't mean anything. It's just like asking a four-year-old what they saw in, a, in, in, a, in the event of a crime. You can't ask a four-year-old because a four-year-old changes their story and it, it, it vacillates just depending on their mood. And so... so uh, um, and, and that's the remarkable thing that, remember, Jesus first appeared to Mary and to the women. And the women came back saying, hey, you know, we saw Jesus. And the disciples didn't even believe him, didn't even believe the women. And finally, Mary nagged them enough that, that, that Peter and John ran up there and they checked it out. And then they saw it was empty and that that uh, uh, one of the disciples was bewildered and the other left believing. But it was, it was very hard for a woman to convince anybody of anything, let alone now a slave woman. So they didn't believe her and they said, oh, come on, just settle down, that's his angel. Well, it's interesting why they would say that. That's not something that we would say today. Oh, you thought you saw that person, you didn't really see that person, that person wasn't there. It was, must have been his angel. Or it must have been her angel. Well, there was a Jewish tradition about this time that a person's guardian angel actually looked like the person. But even aside from that tradition, you see how much they really believed in a person's guardian angel. Jesus spoke of this. The scriptures speak of this. It, it, it talks about, don't, don't, uh, uh, mock a slave lest, don't, don't slander a slave to his master lest His angel go and cry out on His behalf and, and, and you be in big trouble. So, in other words, that we have guardian angels is very much seen in the Scriptures. It is the pattern that is seen that God sets angels to guard and protect His people. Whether you believe in it or not, God does that according to the Scriptures. And in fact, Many times as as I'm, you know, getting in the car to pray, I'll pray, Lord, protect me and cover me by by your blood. And Father, surround this car with angels. And, you know, so I pray this prayer. Because the Scriptures tell us that there are angels that God dispatches to protect His people. This is what the Scriptures say. And so, you see that that they thought, you know, this, this just happens to be His angel. That's how they tried to to rationalize this. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they were, it says, amazed. Because God's not going to answer in this way. Or is he going to answer, you know, just bring him to our house like this. And Peter motions to them to, to keep quiet. And he says, go and tell James and the brethren. So in other words, he says, go and tell some of the others. So they, not all the disciples were there. He tell, he, why does he specifically tell say to say James? He said, well, James was killed earlier on in the chapter. No, this is a different James. James, who was killed in verse 2 in that chapter, was the apostle James, who had been one of the disciples that walked with Jesus. This James that is being talked about, and the reason it specifically says James, is James, the brother of Jesus, who came to know the Lord after Jesus, it says rose from the dead, he appeared to James, and it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 how he had appeared to his brother James. What became the leader of the Jerusalem church. So it wasn't one of the apostles in the sense of one of the disciples that have walked with him. It was James, the brother of the Lord, and we know from Acts chapter 15, James rose to be the status of the, of the leader in the Jerusalem church. That's why he says specifically, tell James, tell the leader of, of the church here in Jerusalem, And then he he left to another place. Now, we don't know exactly where he went, but we know from other portions in Scripture that Peter visited many cities. So, for for example, uh, Antioch of Pisidia, he he visited Babylon. So, Peter talks about how he was in Babylon. So, Peter, after this event, had an itinerant ministry. He did come back occasionally to Jerusalem, like we see in Acts chapter 15. He came back for the Jerusalem Council. And then what happens is Herod interrogates the guards, says, where is this guy Peter? And they say, we don't know, he just disappeared. And like he's supposed to do, Herod has all the guards killed. You say, well, that was very mean. That was standard Roman practice. Same word, this led away, is the same thing that happened to the guards in in the end of Matthew after Jesus' tomb became empty. Any Roman soldier that didn't fulfill their duty was executed. And these soldiers were executed. Now, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 12, verse 20. A very interesting passage. And this passage is even written about in extra-biblical writings by Josephus, the historian. Acts chapter 12, verse 20. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their countrymen were fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. When, when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Okay, so it says in, in chapter 12, verse 19, that Herod had left Judea, went back to uh, 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 Caesarea, where he normally lived. And then the folks from Tyre and Sidon, these were outside the king's domain. So he did not have domain over Tyre and Sidon, but they had come and appealed to him they had They had won over Blastus, his chamberlain, to set up this appointment. They probably bribed him to set it up, although we don 't know for sure and The reason they were coming again, this is talked about by Josephus, this exact event that that uh, uh, it, it says that they were fed by the king 's country, Tyre and Sidon were fed by grain from Galilee, and Galilee was the portion of of area that that Herod was over, and he had gotten so upset with them, he no longer let the grain be transferred. And so they were coming and appealing to him, saying that they needed grain. And so on an appointed day, they came, they put on the royal apparel. He came, and, and, and what Josephus writes is, this royal apparel had threads of silver in it. And when it says he when he stood up in the morning sunlight, it was this dazzling where the sun was shining in behind him, and it had this godlike appearance. So these people start proclaiming this man must be a god and not just a man. And so as Herod starts to enjoy this sort of, of these sort of accolades, it says God immediately had dispatched an angel and said, "Kill him." The Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. You want to mess around with God? I mean, he's pretty tough. I mean, God can be extremely merciful. But here is a man who had had James killed, had tried to have Peter killed in like fashion, and then is exalting himself like a God, and God sends an angel. You know, the Scriptures clearly tell us in Proverbs 16 verse 18 that pride goes before destruction and a a haughty spirit before a fall. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 6, again it says that if we become prideful, we are looking toward a fall. So for the believer, all the more. As pride comes in, we are ready for a fall. And and what Josephus writes about this event is is that this man was struck, while he was right there, he became very ill. They carried him out, and he died five five days later, so he lived for five days, and Josephus even says, and his body was eaten away by worms. You know, this was a miserable death, but this is what happened to that man. You know, there's this duality. That we have in the Lord, this amazing duality where we are supposed to be excited about the Spirit, on fire with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And at the same time, never forget the wretchedness within our own hearts and our own souls. Because if we forget the wretchedness that we have within us, how quickly we can sin, how quickly we can drift into sin and how susceptible we are. We can go to one extreme or the other. And if all we do is dwell on our own wretchedness without focusing in on the glories of God and how He delivers us, we can again swing into the wrong direction. And it is this duality that we have in Christ that He often poses before us. Where, on the one hand, He's encouraging His disciples. And then, all of a sudden, when His disciples get so zealous, they want to bring down fire and brimstone on the Samaritans, He looks at them and He says, You don't know what spirit you are of. And so it's like we're on this knife edge, and we can spin one way or the other, and this is human nature, and God keeps trying to draw us back to a balance. To remember that pride goes before a fall. But we can't sit there and suck our thumbs all day and have this pity party because we're so wretched and never be of any use to God. God wants us to realize who we are in Him, to be able to go forward in Him, and to be able to go forward in His power and in His name. And as we're doing that, never to forget from where we came. The Bible says that God forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgets them. Well, how come I don't forget? I remember all my sins from the past because God never said that I would forget because imagine what I would be like if I had forgotten my past sins how intolerant I would be of others who are struggling with sin so God very much lets us remember our past He forgets but He lets us remember lest we become prideful and ready for a fall Okay, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Oh, le- Let me just mention in verse 24 of chapter 12, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Those who would want to destroy the church, remember at some point they are going to die. And the church will be there thriving. And the church will continue on. And every, every nation that has tried to, to, to quench the gospel, the gospel has burst forth all the more. You talk to the missionaries that were thrown out of China in the 1950s. They wondered, how is the church going to continue? God threw out the missionary. God had the missionaries thrown out. Everybody was wondering what's going to happen. The church went underground. Tremendous persecution. And now they say that there are more born-again Christians in China today than there are in the United States. The move of God in China has just exploded. God knows what he's doing. And so, here you have the contrast. This man who thought he was a god is eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continues to grow and to be multiplied. And now Barnabas and Saul, and it says Barnabas and Saul, that's the order, because Barnabas was indeed better known returned from Jerusalem, so they remember, they had brought money down, and they had brought money down back in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, an offering from Antioch, and it says when they brought that money, they brought it to the elders of the church. Remember, it wasn't the apostles anymore that were leading the church in Jerusalem, it was it was elders now. There was this transition that had occurred, and they had fulfilled their mission, and they were going back, and they took John Mark, this young man, with them. And so he... he, he uh, um, Waited on them, it says. Now, in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. There were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Okay, so here's the church in Antioch. We get a picture now of the leadership of the church in Antioch. It was comprised of prophets and teachers. Prophets getting revelation from God, and then teachers then expounding this to the people in a way that they could understand And it names them Barnabas, which we have seen before. Remember, Barnabas meaning son of encouragement. His name was also Joseph. He was a Levite, we had learned from earlier in in the book of Acts. And that he was the one who had sold his property and given all the money to the disciples. He was the one that was sent by Jerusalem to Antioch to check out the church. And he says he, he, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he encouraged people to remain true to the Lord. It's that Barnabas. Good guy. Barnabas... And Simeon, who was also called Niger. Niger means black. Simeon was a black man. Interesting that God gives us a picture of leadership in the church. Simeon, who was a black man. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is from North Africa. Cyrene is North Africa. Uh, uh, Lucius may have also been black. Not necessarily so, but may have been, because Cyrene is from North Africa. Menaim, which is, is in Hebrew is the word Menachem, like you've heard of Menachem Begin. Menaean is the Hebrew uh, uh, way you say that. Who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So this man had been brought up with Herod in the palace. This man had been brought up. So this was a very wealthy man. So it gives you an idea of the composition of the body of Christ. You have a black man in leadership in the first generation. You have a rich man here in leadership. This is the beautiful picture of the body of Christ. The beautiful picture that we have in God. You know, When I go to the airport, I, I travel all the time far too much and, 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 and uh, it's, it's going to change next semester. I've, I've got a lot of it done, but, but traveling... I travel over 100,000 miles this year. That's a lot. And so, I'm in the airports all the time, and so I get to the airport, and usually what I'll do is I'll get to the airport a little early, and, and I know exactly where the chapel is at the airport, and I go to the chapel, and I just get down on my knees and spend some time in prayer for the trip. And so, here I am in, 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 my, in my my nice suit and my nice tie and everything, kneeling down and praying, and... Another guy comes in and he's one of the baggage handlers in his, with his, his, uh, his, his orange shirt on and, 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 his, and he's kneeling down praying. And I'm so thankful to God for the picture of the body of Christ. When we come before the Lord, we are one in Christ. There is no male, no female, there is no rich, no, po- no poor. We are all one in Christ. The picture of the church. And that's what we see here. There are rich men, there are poor men. There are black men, there are white men. There are Gentiles, there are Jews. This is a picture of the body of Christ. And only in the body of Christ do you see this like this. And when we come before God, we're all one in Christ. And then it speaks, and and then Saul was among them too. And, And it When Saul was called, he didn't change his name to Paul. Paul is not a Christian name. Paul is a Latin name. Uh, Paul, Saul, was a Jew of the dispersion. We know he was from Tarsus. All Jews of dispersion had a Hebrew name and a Latin or Greek name. So Paul's other name was Paul, which was his Latin name. His Hebrew name was Saul. He didn't change his name. God didn't change his name. He had grown up with that name. And you will see people today, you will see... Jews that that live in the United States, their their name is Arnold. Their Hebrew name is is Arun or Aaron. And so you'll see the same sort of thing even today. But it says in verse 2, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. They were ministering to the Lord. Can you imagine that? Look at what the Word of God says. They were ministering to the Lord. What do you mean ministering to the Lord? You know, when I think of ministering to somebody, it's like, you know, I take their shoes off and I give them a foot massage and I bring them, you, you know, a glass of iced tea and, and I have them sit there while I mow their lawn or something. You know, this is how you minister to people. What do you mean minister to the Lord? What are you laughing at? You think I don't do that for the people? <sighs> yeah, that's what Shireen does for me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is what she's thinking. I knew what she was thinking. But this is, what you, this is the picture you get when you minister to somebody. But the Word of God says the body of Christ can minister to the Lord. When we are in prayer, when we're pouring out praise to God, we're ministering to Him. We have the ability to minister to God. You spend time in prayer. You minister to God. That makes Him Feel good. You spend time worshipping God in church or at home. You minister to God. You want to know what ministers to God? This. They gathered together. They were fasting and they were praying. Fasting is never mandatory in the New Testament. Never mandatory. But it is often recommended. And it is a good practice. I don't think anybody should teach on fasting when they are fasting. Because they become full of themselves and they can become judgmental. Or when they just... Finished the long fast, they shouldn't be teaching on it, because still the, it, it still resides within them. And I'm not fasting now, and this is why I can tell you how precious fasting is. To take a period of time where you don't eat, just drink water, don't eat, and spend time ministering to the Lord. Spending a few days without food, and it will draw you back to focus in on the bare essentials. And they were doing this as a group. They were fasting and they were praying. And then the Holy Spirit speaks and said, Set aside for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. And it says they had fasted and prayed and they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. You see the picture of the body of Christ. Lay hands on them and send them out. The body of Christ lays hands on them and sends them out. This picture of submission in the church why do I need to, to hear from the Holy Spirit? I want to go on the mission field. Let me just go. And that's how most people set out. I want to go, so I'll go. And here, they submitted to the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, yes, I want them to go on the mission field. And even after the Holy Spirit spoke, they didn't just go. They didn't say, I'm out of here. Holy Spirit commanded, I'm gone. They fasted and they prayed, and the body of Christ laid hands on them and commissioned them. This is, again, a picture of the body of Christ. We are too too uh, loosey-goosey about this in the body of Christ today, and I'll be real honest with you. Every church that we ever left as a family, every town we moved into we became a member of a church, we never left that church. We lived in a town 11 years as a a family. We never left that church. Another town we lived in 5 years. We never left that church. Uh, We we never jumped around to different churches. We became a part of the body of Christ. And when we were called to... to, So, for example, when I was called to Rice University from, from, from the University of South Carolina, and I got this offer, one of the people I first shared it with was my pastor. And I wanted to share it with my pastor, what was going on, and just get his thoughts on it. And he, when I I called him up in his home, he and I were good friends, and he said, you know, and and, and I told him on the phone, he says, you want to know something, Jim? I was going to pick up the phone, and before I even picked it up, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart that it's Jim who is calling, and he's going to be informing you that I'm moving him on to another place. You know, and, and there's just all this tremendous confirmation that comes. And then when we left the church, we didn't just leave. We gathered together as a family and we had the church lay hands on us and send us off. It's the body of Christ. And I'm amazed at how young people would just pop off to the mission field without ever asking for the church to pray for them. Asking for the church to put them on the mission's prayer list. Asking for the church to lay hands on them and send them out and commission them. If Paul and Barnabas felt they needed it, how much more us? This is, again, understanding the relationship that comes in the body of Christ. And you don't just do this when you have a wife or a husband and kids and say, okay, now I'll become committed. You do it now. It's understanding the body of Christ and what it means. And I'll tell you another story. We lived in South Carolina for for uh, 11 years at one point in there there was a church that had started up and i and i felt that maybe i should go and be a part with that church it had worship experience that i really liked and everything and i went and i shared with the pastor what my thoughts were and he said jim you know i i can't say i concur with you i would never hold you but i can't say i concur with you on that move and i said i understand and Shireen was just like him. Shireen didn't concur with, with me at all either. And, and so we ended up not moving. And then, years later, I saw God's providence in what he did with, with my kids through that existing church. So I wasn't just going to hop up and go to another church. I, I have accountability. Imagine if I just said next week, I'm not coming anymore. I decided to go to another church. and You guys all show up here and I'm not here. Where's Dr. Duro? Oh, is he Going to another church? No, I can't do that. I'm committed to the body of Christ. You are too. You should be. Look at the accountability. You going out to the mission field, get prayer. Get surrounded in prayer. You're graduating. Ask the church to pray for you. Get surrounded by the body of Christ. Ask the pastor to pray for you. And learn what it is to get commissioned by the Lord and have the covering of the body of Christ. These men knew it. We need to know it also. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Lord, I thank You because You draw us and You work in our lives. And Father, I pray that You so touch each heart here, that they would understand the accountability in the body of Christ, how the Holy Spirit speaks through the accountability of the body of Christ, and that they would learn to have open homes, and they would learn to use of what You have given them for the building up of the kingdom of the Lord. Father, let them learn to be generous, I pray. Father, your mercies and your blessings, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.